Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And And as you can tell, I'm sick. Poor Chadius. It's not COVID. It's not the flu. It's just the crud. Yep. Same crud that I had last week. Sorry, Chad. Dave's starting over sniffling over there, too, so... You will hear me sniffle, cough, sneeze. Mine's from the weather because it went from like 60 degrees to like 20 degrees. And you know what's going to happen tomorrow? What? Back up to the 60s. Nice. So we got blizzard light conditions today. Sunbathing conditions tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, I'm still fighting my crud too, but I at least can breathe again. So. Right. I'm just hacking up lungs every once in a while. Um. I just can't breathe. Yeah. It's going to make reading fun. Uh, Already uh, having issues breathing. Or reading and breathing at the same time. (laughs) So I guess before we get started on this week's episode, we got some housekeeping. And let's start with a green green mushroom podcast. Network podcast. I noticed last week I said it wrong. I said green podcast. Green podcast, 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 <laughs> podcast, podcast, podcast. I was going to fix it in editing and I was like, I'll just mention it next time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, here is a promo from one of our green podcast. Nope. One of our green mushroom podcast podcasts. This is Faith Blind Council. Hey, folks. Dreadnought here from the Faith Blind Council podcast. Myself, Frater Yara Marud and Seder Cologne have been working for over a year to produce a show that talks about practicing chaos magic with three practicing chaos magicians. We cover all sorts of topics from deep paradigm dives on subjects such as Gnosticism and Southern American conjure to techniques such as divination and meditation and even sex magic. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Check out this clip from one of our latest episodes. But, like, you mentioned the eighth house being, like, the house of shame, like, where... I have totally like, been to the house you're, of shame you're, before. <laughs> where you're... Yeah, Waffle you're House. Thinking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the only thing I have in my, my eighth house is um, my, my moon sign. So what's, what's yes. interesting about there being kind of shame associated with your moon sign and your emotions is that your moon is in Virgo, right? Virgos, Virgos are the like the sign that are the most critical of themselves. Like 
you it's very hard to hurt a virgo's feelings because you will never say something meaner to a virgo than a virgo says to themselves when they're by themselves for this and so much more discussion about magic in general be sure to check out the faith blind council podcast at faithblindpodcast.com you can also find us on itunes spotify stitcher and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts at thank you so much for checking out our show and we hope to see you soon You know, I'm thankful to the Faith Flag Council. Because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have the green mushroom. Yeah. Because it was all built in their Discord. It was that it was their show that encouraged me to branch out in my druidry. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh, they hate puns. I ah. get put in the penalty box often on their <laughs> Discord server. <laughs> <laughs> penalty. Yeah. It's good. So what do we got for you this week? Curses. Curses, curses. I curse you. And there's so many curses out there that I think we could probably do a whole series of curses. What do y'all say? Yeah, I say we could do it. We can throw it in there with our Mon talk about it and our missing 411s. Sure. And just visit some every now and again. Yeah. I heard about one which kind of fits in this one two ways, and it's about James Dean's car. We talked about a little in the Hollywood one, but I had no idea it was named Little Bastard. Interesting. Hmm. So I could have brought that one along and said Little Bastard like 70 times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, this is a show about curses, so we can curse all night long. <laughs> shoot, shit, shoot, shit, shoot the shit. We're going to shoot the shit. We're going to fuck, fuck, fuck a duck. Screw, Screw a kangaroo. kangaroo. We're going to finger bang an orangutan orgy at the zoo. zoo. Whoa, simmer down, (laughs) Crowley. (laughs) (laughs) No, we literally hear our mom say this at least once a week. (laughs) Duck, duck, duck a duck. Mm -hmm. And so we changed it for her, and it is now friend, 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 duck. duck. High High five five a kangaroo. kangaroo. Join a gang of orangutans. Party at at the the zoo. zoo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm surprised we remember that. I am too. <laughs> That's unsettingly PG rated. Well, you know, because she does it at work. And she also so, claims she doesn't ever say the F word. Yes, she does. <laughs> the only F word she says is friend. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing about that is our son, he says fuck a lot. I, I'm going to say it. He says fuck a lot. He doesn't really get that from Dave and I. We don't say it too much around the house. Like we'll say it when we're talking to each other and stuff, and like a conversation. But the kids aren't usually around when we're talking like that. And uh, I started noticing he does it in sets of three. He says "fuck, fuck, fuck," and I'm like, he gets that from my mother. <laughs> That's how she says it. She goes "fuck, fuck, fuck," or he was saying "damn it" for a little bit, yeah. and he was using the exact same cadence that our mother uses. Yeah, and I was like, he got that from you, mom. I hate. She was like, <laughs> you and Dave need to watch your language, and I was like, mm, hi, pot, hi, kettle. <laughs> <laughs> Great times. He never says it at school. No, that's the important part. So he'll be getting well, us in trouble and be like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> as much as I love saying curse words, 
I guess it's not really the curses we're covering. No, no, different curse words or curses. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be curse words too. Yes. I damn it! I hate writing in cursive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, penalty box. <laughs> All right, so we did a um, weird rock little. papers number one through five shenanigans. And Chad goes first. Yeah. So Chad. Well, since I was the one who brought the idea out of doing curses, I guess it's only fair. Oh, let's see if you can guess which one I covered. In November of 1923, British archaeologist Howard Carter and his financier and friend, Lord Carnarvon, stumbled upon one of the greatest archaeological finds in history. After convincing Lord Carnarvon to continue financing his ex- excavation after the conclusion of World War I, their luck changed. Three days after returning to the site to continue searching, a young man who was hired to deliver water to the workers tripped and found a solid flat rock that had been uncovered over the time. Upon further investigation, Carter and his team dug to find a staircase under the sands and stone that led to a sealed entrance. This led to a sealed entranceway with the seal of King Tutankhamun. Whoa. They broke the seal of the entrance and proceeded deeper into the tomb. Deeper. The long corridor was filled with stones and boulders. Upon clearing the corridor, they came across another sealed entrance once again with the seal of the young king. At this time, Carter created a small opening big enough for his hand and a candle to stretch into. Upon doing so, he was able to see the glorious treasures. Carter called Lord Carnarvon to come to Egypt and be there when they entered the chamber. A couple days later, Carnarvon arrived, and the sealed entrance was opened to find a small room filled with thousands of items, including a a gold-plated chariot, three gold-plated beds, a human-sized clay torso and head resembling that of Tut, two large human-shaped wooden guards painted black and gold, and many other items. Between the two wooden statues was what seemed to be another entrance that was sealed off as well. Hoping this would be the burial chamber, every item was removed from every item was removed from this room to allow for deeper excavation. So these two British chaps were like, "These will look great in our British Museum of <laughs> History." <laughs> Surprisingly, they actually went to the museum in Cairo. I think that's part of like. Uh, any of the permit, the permit uh, Egypt is anything excavated has to go through their museums. Yeah, and then you can get like temporary ties for it to come. You know, stay at your museum. Like when we were in Chicago, they had Tut uh, exhibit, um, and that was kind of cool. That was actually a cool. really cool. They didn't. I don't think they had. It they had the sarcophagus, tut. but they didn't have. Yeah, they didn't have the mummy. They did have some mummies though, and then yeah. they had built up a tomb. So you actually, to get into the exhibit, you walked through a tomb and through the corridors, and they had all the different hieroglyphs and stuff on the yeah. walls, and you had to walk through all the corridors to get to like the, the treasure chamber, and then you walked through some more to get into the burial chambers. And Yeah, it was really cool was how really it was set neat. up. I enjoy museums. Me too. We need to, <coughs> I, haven't, I haven't been to our museum. I keep hearing it's really good right now, and I've yet to been. I haven't been in two decades. I haven't been since they moved to the new building. I don't know how long ago that was, but... After two weeks of carefully removing all the items and conserving them, they were ready to enter the room. 
upon the opening upon opening it they saw the walls were extravagantly painted and a large gold sarcophagus was in the middle they opened the sarcophagus to reveal another and then another and then they finally found the coffin of King Tut beautifully painted and decorated they removed a lid to find another coffin and then opened it to find another one the last one was it's made a box in a box <laughs> It's like Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> Egyptian Russian dolls. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> I wonder if that was common. Uh, I can go into that a little bit here in a second. I can go into that here in a little bit. Um, I know a lot more that I didn't write down. I figured we'd talk about it a little bit. Uh, the last coffin was made out of pure gold. It took eight men to lift the lid. And they revealed the mummified remains of the young king wearing a gold death mask and gold and jeweled necklace. They slowly examined the body and then searched the room, finding another room filled with even more treasure. Now, following following the find, the deaths began. Bum, bum, bum. First, with Howard Carter's canary that Aww. was found being eaten by a cobra at the same time they uh, were entering the burial chamber. Okay, okay. So that doesn't really count, but it seems kind of ominous, right? Why Maybe. Why doesn't it count? Why is that a canary's life not as important as a human life? <laughs> canary's lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Carnarvon was the next to die. After being bitten by a mosquito, he then shaved and ended up cutting it open. This allowed for an infection, and he later died of blood poisoning. He is weak. Well, you are to be sure that... Once again, almost all the people that were involved in this, like all the archaeologists, were already in their 50s or so. And Lord Carnarvon had been ill for like two decades before this. So, but that's, that goes against it being a curse, Amy. Sorry. Shh. Next was Sir Bruce Ingham. Howard Carter, the archaeologist who discovered the tomb, gave a paperweight to his friend Bruce as a gift. The paperweight, appropriately, or perhaps quite inappropriately, consisted of a mummified hand wearing a bracelet that was supposedly inscribed with the phrase, Curse be who moves my body. Bruce did not die from the mummy's curse, though his house burnt to the ground not long after receiving the gift, and when he tried to rebuild, it was then hit by a flood. Next was George J. Gould. Gould was a wealthy American financier and railroad executive who visited the tomb of Tutankhamun in 1923 and felt sick almost immediately afterward he never really recovered and died of pneumonia a few months later number four Aubrey herbert is said to it said that lord carnarvon's half-brother suffered from king tut's curse merely by being related to him Aubrey herbert was born with a degenerative eye condition and became totally blind late in life a doctor suggested his rotten infected teeth were somehow interfering with his vision and Herbert had every single tooth pulled from his head in an effort to regain his sight. It didn't work. <laughs> it would have been great to be a doctor back then. <laughs> he did. Up. He did, however, die of sepsis as a result of the surgery, just five months after the death of his supposedly cursed brother. Hugh Evelyn White. Evelyn White, a British archaeologist, visited King Tut's tomb and may have helped excavate the site after seeing death sweep over about two dozens of his fellow excavators by 1924 Evelyn White died by suicide 
but not by writing allegedly in his own blood. I have succumbed to the curse for which forces me to disappear. And he jumped off the 10th story building in England. Aaron Ember, American Egyptologist Aaron Ember, was friends with many of the people who were present at the tomb when the tomb was opened, including Lord Carnarvon. Ember died in 1926 when his house in Baltimore burnt down less than an hour after he and his wife hosted a dinner party. He could have exited safely, but his wife encouraged him to save the manuscript he had been he had been working on while she fetched their son. Sadly, the and family's and the and the family's maid died in the catastrophe. The name of Ember's manuscript, the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Book, Book of the, the dead. dead. Book of the Dead. <laughs> Richard Bethel. Bethel was Lord Carnarvon's secretary and the first person behind Carter to enter the tomb. He died in 1929 under suspicious circumstances. How suspicious. The one modern historian has attributed his death to the work of Satanist killer Aleister Crowley. Was Crowley known? I mean, I know he killed a couple of people, but... I don't think he was considered a Satanist. I don't think he was even considered a killer. (laughs) (laughs) Bethel was found smothered in his room at an elite London gentleman's club soon after... The Nottingham Evening Post mused the suggestion that Hon Richard Bethel had come under the curse was raised last year when there was a series of mysterious, mysterious fires at, at his home where some of the priceless finds from Tutankhamun's tomb were stored. No evidence of connections between Artifact and Bethel's death was established, though. Sir Archibald Douglas Reid proving that you didn't have to be one of the excavators or expedition backers to fall victim to Tutankhamun's curse. Reed, a radiologist, merely x-rayed Tut before the mummy was given to the museum authorities. He got the six, He got sick the next day and was dead three days later. And then Howard Carter. Carter never had a mysterious, inexplicable illness, and his house never fell victim to any fiery disaster. He died of lymphoma at the age of 64. His tomb even says, may your spirit live, may you spend millions of years, who, who, you who love Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness, perhaps the pharaohs saw fit to spare him from the curse. As well as a few others died in the following years, and by following years, I mean the next 10 to 15 years, a total of 58 of the present 50, er, a total of 13 of the present 58 at the opening um, have perished. Okay, so the curse might not really exist, but it was always fun to think about. The idea of the Pharaoh's curse actually started because Lord Carnarvon gave sole rights to the London Times newspaper to be the only paper to investigate and receive news about the tomb. So other papers around the world had to, you know, do what they do best. <laughs> and that is to make shit up. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so these started reports about a curse that was placed on the tomb and a tablet that was found that claimed to curse all who entered, none of which were remotely true. Good old news, you know. You can always count on them. But I'll let you be the judge if there's actually a curse or not. Or did the newspapers create some kind of tulpa or egregore to kill those involved? That I would believe. Also, though, with some of those that were dying within, like, days... I almost feel like maybe there was some kind of a 
bacteria or virus that was sealed up in that cave. It is that cave the tomb. It is common for that to happen. Um, Actually, one of the best cases of that is um, a I want to say a French king that was uncovered, Mm -hmm. and what it was there's some kind of mushroom spores that had grown in the inside the coffin that inhaled are deadly. And when you stir up enough air trying to open up a coffin and stuff, it releases those spores and stuff. So that always is something. But also, like I said, most of these men were in their 50s or 60s already. And in the 20s, you didn't live till your 70s most of the time anyway. So it's really you know common for people just to die around that age. Yeah. Well, and they all died within 10 <clears throat> to 15 years. Unf- I mean, it's interesting that it's that big of a group of people. But everybody's going to know somebody who dies in 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Well, now, you got to also take account, there were over 300 people at the dig site. Yeah. There were 58 non-Egyptians, and supposedly it got changed to the curse can't affect the native people. Uh, (laughs) Now, I didn't really, I I always found the curse of King Tut interesting. It wasn't really until I started doing research that I found that it was all a hoax by the news. And I started going, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> Two or a hundred years later, and, hey, same problem. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you had asked a question about uh, something earlier, Dave. Oh, about whether or not it was common practice for the them to put uh, yeah <laughs> cases and guys' cases and cases. Well, let me get Professor Chad over here um, <laughs> with uh, King Tut's tomb and everything is. He died at such a young age. He didn't. He took over rule about when he was nine years old, and mm-hmm. ended up dying at the age of nineteen. And the reason his tomb is actually where it is is it was actually designed for someone else. Um, he died so young, so they made the gold coffin for him, and then they placed it in two more coffins that were actually for other people because he was so small. That it didn't fill up oh. everything. Fun fact is he actually uh, caught on fire in his coffin after they mummified him as well. Uh, it was such a rush job that <clears throat> when they mummified him and everything to put him in there, I guess there's different chemicals they used and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, it caused uh, internal combustion pretty much. Oh, and actually, wow. he of flames inside the co- coffin uh, and sealed inside two more coffins and sealed inside three sarcophaguses. Um, so, um, and then there's a lot of really cool stuff that they've started to discover as they're going through this because uh, we're on the painted walls and everything. Uh, they had an Egyptologist come in and they were taking all the color out of everything and just examining the walls and stuff. And the... Um, there's paint lines that almost look like an outline of all the figures and stuff because the, they started painting the wall before the plaster was dry because they were trying to get it done as fast as possible. And it's also why he didn't have a larger tomb hmm. and why he wasn't placed in like the lo- big tombs and stuff like Norm- kings normally are the- is they didn't have one ready for him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they used the only one they had available at the time. Did that. And the reason it it's the only one up to date in the Valley of the Kings that hasn't was never just like grave robbed. Um, it looked uh, 
the reason I was saying, you know, they had the, se- the sealed entrances with the seals of King Tut, the first one they got to actually had been torn down and then redone in the middle. And as they started digging down that corridor full of rocks and stuff, they could see how far grave robbers had gotten that way a little bit. It looks like they got stopped and never uh-huh. made it all the way into the burial chamber or anything. Uh, but where it was placed, it was it's lower towards the ground than all the other ones. And between rock slides and floods and everything, it was kind of at like a V in the valley. And so when flash floods would come, it would actually gather boulders and stuff and sit on top. And it was lower towards the ground, the sands and stuff covered it up. So it actually is what helped protect his tomb from being grave robbed or found any sooner. Interesting. Interesting. So they spent seven years searching for it, for it and never found anything. Literally after World War One, Carnarvon didn't have money to keep spending and Carter convinced them one, one more time we got two spots left because they did into a grid pattern mm-hmm. two spots left we'll knock it out this year and then you know we can be done and three days after they get there find it interesting so it's really it's really, really interesting somebody literally falls into it ah. yeah there's some really cool stuff on National Geographic I watched a couple different videos on that like full you know shows and stuff as well as uh, other YouTube videos and research and stuff. But I've always found King Tut's uh, curse and everything. I want to go so bad. I see the videos of people walking through it. I'm like, I want to go so bad. Yeah. I don't want to go to Cairo, but... Again, I think I've said it before. I've always been fascinated with Egyptian history. So, And, yeah, I've always been drawn towards, like, King Tut and... Also, did you know King Tut is... uh, a son of incest. His parents were siblings. Oh, that happened a lot. But that's, I mean, it still that's happened. part of why he died so young. He yeah. was born with a club foot and several uh, deformities, deformities and stuff that mm-hmm. caused him to not develop correctly. There's a Mandela effect with King Tut's um, death mask. You all aware of this? Mm-mm. Some people remember it just being a single cobra in the front. It's two. Yeah. But it's actually a a cobra. It's yeah, uh, and uh, oh, some kind of other bird. Yeah, that's the obvious thing, I guess, about the cobra was when they found that you know opened the death mask, and then go back to Carter's tent, and his bird is being eaten by a cobra. Mm-hmm. That's part of what started the whole rumors. Uh, I mean, that is quite ominous. Also, on his death mask, the uh, beard thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't actually part of the mask. It was after it was put on him was connected, like sealed to face mask because they accidentally broke it off, and they oh, realized no. that it wasn't on there because he was such a young boy. He had never actually formed the beard and done mm-hmm. all the pharaoh stuff to it, as I'm gonna call it. And so they found out that was actually added uh, later on. Interesting. But it's pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But I started thinking I was doing this is like you know with thousands of newspapers, hundreds of thousands of newspapers, because all over the world was the biggest news at the time, making up these r- curses and stuff. I was like, who's to say they didn't create some kind of curse and put it on the people that were there? Yeah. Oh sure, some kind of thought form that. Yeah, I mean, people that are into curses, into like hoodoo and things like that. 
They'll even say your victim has to believe in it or it won't work. Yeah. I breathe. I breathe in karma. I breathe. I breathe in karma. I wish I could breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so, King Tut's tomb. Cast or not cast? Cast! I By the newspapers. I like the idea. But yeah, I think that it just coincidence and yeah. synchronicities with it. Yeah. I brought to the episode the curse of Tippecanoe, a.k.a. Tecumseh's curse, a.k.a. the 20-year curse, a.k.a. the zero curse. Wait, you can get a curse by tipping a canoe? Apparently. Oh, damn, I'm fucked. One of the names of this curse refers to ninth president of the United States, William Henry Harrison, who was nicknamed Old Tippecanoe during his pre-presidential military expeditions, where he defeated Native American tribes led by Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa at the Battle of Tippecanoe. And according to legend, a curse was placed by Tenskwatawa that affected United States presidents in a 20-year pattern, targeting all presidents elected in a year that ends in zero. Bum, bum, bum. William Henry Harrison was elected president in 1840. On April 4th, 1841, he died of pneumonia. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860. In 1864, as he was riding late one evening towards the soldier's home, now commonly called President Lincoln's Cottage, a lone rifle shot knocked the hat right off his head. Later on, in, on April 14, 1865, he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth at Ford Theater. I was about to say, um, Dave, I don't know if your information is correct. They're going to say he was killed by the ride into that mic. Nope. Mandela no. effect. <laughs> just knocked the hat nope, right he off just his had, head. He just had a very bad theater experience. Worst play he's ever been to. At least it wasn't Cats. <laughs> James A. Garfield was elected in 1880. On July 2nd, 1881, Charles J. Gitto shot the president, which led to his death on September 19th, 1881. He lived a long time. I mean, <coughs> to die from a gunshot that happened, what? Three, Three months, months before? Prior, yeah. Mm-hmm. William McKinley was elected to his second term in 1900. On September 6, 1901, McKinley was shot by Leon F. Kolsgatz, which led to the president's death on September 14, 1901. Warren G. Harding was elected president in 1920. On August 2nd, 1923, while visiting San Francisco, he suffered a stroke or maybe a heart attack, though some say the death was from tomaine poisoning. He died at the Palace Hotel. Franklin D. Roosevelt was elected to his third term in 1940. He died of a cerebral hemorrhage. On April 12th, 1945, during his fourth term, John F. Kennedy was elected in 1960. 
On November 22nd, 1963, he was assassinated. By the FBI. Ronald Reagan was elected as president in 1980. On March 30th, 1981, John Hinckley shot the president. But due to quick medical attention, Reagan survived. By the FBI. (laughs) Allegedly. George W. Bush was elected as president in 2000. On January 13th, 2002, George W. Bush was watching football while eating a handmade pretzel from Hammond Pretzel Bakery. A piece got lodged in his windpipe, causing him to lose consciousness, falling to the floor, bruising his lip, and scuffing his cheek. He recovered consciousness on his own. On May 10th, 2005, while in the country of Georgia, Vladimir Aretyanian threw a Soviet-made RGD-5 hand grenade at the podium where Bush was giving a speech. The grenade failed to detonate. George W. Bush was also the target of a shooing on December 14, 2008, carried out by Montander Alzadi, an Iraqi journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the shooing. Uh, that was funny. So, did Reagan break the curse by surviving? He got shot. But he survived. Someone mm. attempted to kill George Bo- H. Bush. Yeah. yeah. Somebody grenade. attempted to, uh, people have attempted to kill Obama and Trump. None of them have got that close. I don't know about Clinton. I'm sure. Now, now that's what a lot of skeptics say, like, well, Teddy Roosevelt was shot to, like, somehow say the curse isn't real, but I say that that expands the curse, doesn't it? Yeah. I would almost say that, why would it be a 20-year curse and not just a curse on all presidents? Because of the 20-year biorhythms of the earth. Oh, so this is a Montauk. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Well, uh. Biden better be careful. Yeah. He'd be on a 20-year. He would be. And the yeah. heart attack and stroke <laughs> might be very well possible, but... Better put him in a, like, a Pope mobile, like, when <laughs> they go anywhere, just, <laughs> plastic, just get him in a bubble, bulletproof bubble. <laughs> Make sure it has oxygen, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, we forgot to put a breathing hole. <laughs> like in, in a Pope mobile? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then uh, and then uh, you know, I mean, coincidence. I think, <laughs> yeah, maybe, probably. I mean, you are in a very high power situation, and you're gonna have half gonna the have country somebody who hates you. you. Yeah. Um, not to mention other countries, kind of like the shooing. Now, the only president that. Wasn't a that was assassinated not on this list was I think James Madison. Uh, so all the ones that have been assassinated are on this list. See, sometimes it could be people, other countries, others, you know, people of the country dislike you, or sometimes your own government parties. Yeah, yeah, JFK. Or sometimes it's a pretzel, and a pretzel yeah. has it out for you. Damn fucking pretzel! <laughs> or How dare you? 
or a crazy extremist with a shoe or a hand grenade. (laughs) Though honestly, I'm not gonna lie. When you started reading out what kind of like hand grenade it was, but before that was a hand grenade, I thought you were gonna be like tennis shoe. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been hilarious if you had that much information on what kind of shoe was thrown at George W. Bush. (laughs) I did have quotes to what he said, but I wasn't gonna read them. (laughs) Yeah. He's out running for parliament, that journalist. He did some time for doing that, and now he's running for parliament under the Sauterist party. Interesting. So, the Tippecanoe. Curse of Tippecanoe. Real? Is it real, or is it a fake? Is it a curse or not a curse? I don't think it's a curse. I think it's a lot, again, a lot of synchronicities. And like I said, you're in one of the highest positions in the world. You're going to have enemies. Yeah. And it just so happened that. Some I of mean, them he might have put a curse them. on him. It's very possible. It just. I'm not sure that is the curse. Yeah. Maybe the curse is just to have gray hair <laughs> in four years. May you never get hot again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Viagra was created. Clinton was so worried about it, he was getting his rocks off by the interns. <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> Even though I do have her panties. <laughs> <laughs> On my face. And my Hillary! Cigars, my cigars might smell like pussy, <laughs> but it wasn't sex. We did not have intercourse. She just had the first course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mine. She had sausage. I'm bringing you oh, God. a bright and shiny curse. It's shiny. The Hope Diamond. Ooh, I hope there's a diamond in this. Has interested people for centuries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that one's so dumb. It's the one they got Amy. me. <laughs> oh. The size, rare Ooh. color, oh, yeah. and uniquely perfect quality oh. make it a strikingly unique and beautiful piece. The Hope Diamond has had many owners in its history. King Louis XIV, and it was stolen during the French Revolution and sold to earn money for gambling. It was worn to raise money for charity and then donated to the Smithsonian Institute, where it lives today. So they say. But the Hope Diamond is said to have its own curse that befalls it and whomever may own it. Bam, bam, bam. Pierre Cartier. Pierre Cartier was one, one of the famous Cartier Junior. Cartier Junior. Julior. Ju, Jul- That's the word that's <laughs> <stuck me> up. <laughs> Julior. Julior. Jul- <laughs> 
jeweler. Jeweler. There we go. Jeweler told the story to Evelyn Walsh McLean and his husband and her husband Edward to entice them to buy the rock. The wealthy couple was vacationing in Europe when they met Cartier. And according to his story, centuries ago, a man named Tavernay made a trip to India. While there, he stole a large blue diamond from the forehead or eye of a statue of the Hindu goddess Sita. The diamond in the rough? The rough. According to the legend, Tavernay was torn apart by wild dogs on a trip to Russia after he sold the diamond. This was the first of the horrible deaths attributed to the curse, according to Cartier. Get this, he's trying to sell this to these people, and he's telling them. Hey, you want to buy this? It's cursed, you'll die. (laughs) Cartier told McLean about the French official named Nicholas Forquat. (laughs) Forquat. (laughs) We'll go with Forquat. It sounds good. Forquarts. I'm going to scribble a lot of these names because they're French. (laughs) General Forquarts. Just roll with it. Forquarts. Forquarts. Forquat. Four quat. Four quat? Four quat. For Against. Who <laughs> <laughs> was executed. And Princess de Lambeau beaten to death by the French mob by a French mob. And and Louis the Fifteenth and Marie Antoinette, who were both beheaded. By a, head. By a guillotine. <laughs> then in nineteen oh eight, Sultan Abdul Hamid of Turkey purchased the stone and lost his throne to his favorite Subia, who wore the diamond as he was killed. The Greek jewel, jewel, the why is that? <laughs> the, jeweler. The Greek jeweler, Simon Montadarius. Sure, we'll go with that. Was killed when he and his wife and child rode over a precipice. The grandson of William, the grandson of Henry Thomas Hope. How did you were getting William out of that, Henry <laughs> William? Hello, <laughs> William. I don't even know how. You, I, yeah. Shush. For whom it is named after died penniless. There is a Russian count, and and an actress who owned the stone in the early twenties that came to bad ends. According to researcher Richard Kurgan, Curran, Richard Richard Curran, some of those stories are misleading, while some are flat out lies. So, if you buy the diamond, it's your last hope. <gasps> so here's the real tavernier, ta- tavernay story. The blue diamond was first found by Jean Baptiste Tavernay in 17th century jeweler. A 17th century century jeweler, 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 traveler, and storyteller who wandered the world between 1640 and 1667 looking for gems. He visited India at a time of abundance of large colored diamonds. 
Oh, nope, that's not what that says. He visited India at the time of abundance of large colored diamonds. That is what that says. <laughs> Good Lord, Amy. And bought it. Probably in a diamond market there. Really? <laughs> I thought he bought it in the butchers while looking for gems. Yep. Hi, Jim. <laughs> is there any gems here? Oh, no. <laughs> it was an uncut 112 three sixteenths carat blue diamond believed to have come from the Collier mine mines in India. Tavernet arrived back in France in 1668 where he was invited by King Louis the 14th, the sun King to visit him at court to tell him of adventures and to sell him diamonds. Louis bought the blue diamond as well as 44 large diamonds and 120, uh, 122 similar, or 122 smaller diamonds. Travernay was made a noble and died in Russia at the age of 84. In 1673, King Louis XIV decided to have diamonds cut, have the diamond cut in, to enhance its brilliance. The newly cut gem was officially named the Blue Diamond of the Crown and worn often on a long ribbon around his neck. Then in 1749, his great-grandson, Louis XV, and king was king and ordered the crown jeweler to make a decoration for the Order of the Golden Fleece. I guess that's gold cheap. Using the blue diamond and a Cote de Bretagne, a large red ruby. When, when Louis XV died, his grandson, Louis XVI, became king, and Mary Antoinette and his queen both were beheaded during the French Revolution. The crown jewels were taken from the royal couple. I'm okay. Were taken from the couple and placed in the royal storehouse. <laughs> Not my crown jewels. Here, take the whole diamonds. Not my crown jewels. Between September 12th and 16th in 1971, that's not right, 1871, the storehouse was repeatedly looted. It wasn't noticed until September 17th. Most of the crown jewels were soon recovered, but the blue diamond was not. They lost a blue ball of... Never mind. Edit. And it soon disappeared. Diamond was not, and it disappeared. In 1813, the blue diamond resurfaced in London and was owned by the jeweler David Ellison by 1823. It isn't known if this is the same stolen, or the same diamond stolen from France. If it is, someone recut the French blue diamond in hopes of hiding its origin. King George the IV Fourth, King George the Fourth bought the diamond from Ellis, and when he died, it was sold to pay off his debt. By 1839, or possibly earlier, the blue diamond was in the possession of Harry Philip Hope, one of the heirs of the baking firm Hope and Co. I was wondering where the Hope name came into it. Hope was a collector of fine art and gems. 
and he acquired the large blue diamond that was soon to carry his family's name. Since he never married, Henry Philip Hope left his estate to his three nephews when he died in 1839. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> the Hope Diamond went to the eldest of the nephew, eldest of the nephews, Henry Thomas Hope. Henry Thomas Hope married and had one daughter. His daughter grew up and married and had five children. When Henry Thomas Hope died in 1862 at the age of 54, the Hope Diamond stayed in the possession of Hope's willow, widow and her grandson. The second oldest, Lord Francis Hope, inherited the Hope as part of his grandmother's life estate shared with his siblings. Because of his gambling and high spending, Francis Hope had permission from the court in 1898 to sell the Hope Diamond. But his siblings opposed the sell, and he requests, and his request was denied. He appealed again, and in 1899 it was again denied. And then in 1901, the appeal was finally granted permission to sell the diamond. No, you can't sell it. We're out of hope. It was Simon Frankel, an American jeweler, who bought the Hope Diamond in 1901 and brought it to the United States. The diamond changed hands several times during the next few years, including the Sultan, actress, and Russian count, if you believe Cartier. Any with Cartier, Pierre Cartier, believed that he found a buyer in Evelyn Walsh McLean, who had first seen the diamond in 1910 while visiting Paris with her husband. Since Miss McLean had previously told Pierre Cartier that the objects usually considered bad luck turned into good luck for her. In his pitch to Cartier, in his pitch, Cartier emphasized the Hope Diamond's negative history. However, since McLean did not like the diamond and its current mounting, she turned it down. A few months later, Cartier arrived in the U.S. and asked McLean to keep the diamond, to keep the Hope Diamond for the weekend having reset the Hope Diamond in a new mounting. Cartier hoped that it would grow, she would grow attached to it over the weekend. He was right. It's like a dog. Is, is it a <laughs> fucking adoption? And McLean bought the Hope Diamond. When Evelyn's mother-in-law heard about the sale, she was aghast and persuaded Evelyn to send it back to Cartier, who sent it right back to her, then had to sue to get the McLeans to pay the promised fee. Once it was cleared up, Evelyn McLean wore the diamond constantly. According to one story, it took a lot of persuading by Mr. McLean, or by Mrs. McLean's doctor to get her to take it off for a gorder operation. Though McLean wore the Hope Diamond as a good luck charm, others saw the curse strike her too. McLean's firstborn son died in a car crash when he was only nine. McLean suffered another major loss when her daughter committed suicide at the age of 25. In addition to all of this, McLean's husband was declared insane and confined to a mental institution on his, until his death in 1941. Though Evelyn McLean had written or had wanted her jewelry to go with, to her grandchildren when, it was, when they were older, her jewelry, jewelry was put up for sale in 1949 two years after her death, in order to settle the debt of her estate. When the Hope Diamond went on sale in 1949, it was acquired by the famed New York jeweler Harry Winston. 
On numerous occasions, occasions, Winston offered the diamond to various ladies to be worn at balls to raise money for charity. Winston donated the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian Institute in 1958 to be the focal point of a newly established gym collection, as well as to inspire others to donate. On, December, on November 10th, 1958, the Hope Diamond traveled in a plain brown box by registered mail and was met by a large group of people in the Smithsonian who celebrated its arrival. The Smithsonian received numbers of letters and newspaper stories suggesting they had acquired such an ill-framed stone by federal institution by a federal institution meant bad luck for the entire country. Not too wrong there. The Hope Diamond is currently on display in the National Gem and Mineral Collection at the National Museum of N- the National Museum of Natural History. The History Museum of, of Natural, Natural History. History for all to see. The Museum of Natural History. History. So that is the Hope Diamond. Yes. Um, I wonder how many carats it is now. It's been knocked down. It was Sounds 112. Like a few times. Yeah. I think what I read now is it's like a hundred and. Like a hundred, like hundred and one carat. Oh, so, I mean, well, that ain't too much taken off of it, huh? So chaos, or no chaos? And yes, I'm speaking in chaos. Of oh, I love when dumb jokes get a b. I don't know. Of the ones we talked about, it's probably the most like possible chaos. But. Once again, I just think it's synchronicity. Say, is it a curse or is it just greedy ass people got it and they had bad shit happen? Bad shit happen. Which would be a curse. Yeah, true. <laughs> but is it a curse of the diamond or is it a curse of being a shitty person? I don't know. Is it a curse of being a president or is it the curse, curse of, of being a shitty person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, those two could go together. Hey, is, it, is it the curse of King Tut or is it? The curse of being a shitty person and breaking into someone's grave. See, yep. See, this all kind of sinks up yeah. there. I just think curses really just... They're just curses of being shitty people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think what they start from. So is it a curse or is it karma? <laughs> Maybe karma is a curse. Karma, 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 karma. Karma chameleon. Well, there's no origin of the curse. Like, who put the curse on the item? Well, There's no origin story. There is no origin story in real life, but Cartier had the origin story of being cursed because he stole it from the goddess statue. Yeah. That's where he put, put the, the origin on it. When <laughs> the guy's like, get me the lamp, <laughs> <laughs> and you can take anything you see down there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rug is like, follow him around like, <laughs> I want a magic carpet. Me too. Especially the one from Aladdin. Uh-huh. It's like the perfect ant pet. Like Yeah. It's like a little puppy dog. Yeah. But you get to ride on it. And it doesn't get it it doesn't make a mess. <laughs> and it cleans. Yeah. yeah. Let you walk all over it. Yeah. You know Aladdin farted on it a couple of times. You know he had sex on it. Oh yeah. He and Is that considered a threesome? <laughs> 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 they were in a throuple. Aladdin, Jasmine, and the rogue. <laughs> Quadruple. Quadruple. You know the genie was in oh, on yeah. it, too. Oh, yeah. genie was in on it, too. Um, the genie pretended to be the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> he was the dildo. 
Um, no, I'm seeing it. <laughs> a green dildo with that face on it. Green or blue? <laughs> or whatever yeah, fucking blue. color it was. <laughs> fucking, I'm just picturing it with Robin Williams' voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining his stand-up, you know, when he's doing like the, he's going down on a girl and he's got that big old hairy arm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's funny. What a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> going back to like mine saying piece of shit. Um, so I was like, I love archaeology, but at the same time, I do feel like it is kind of fucked up that it's okay for us to go dig up these graves, but it's a federal crime if you do it to here. To modern grave, yeah. To modern grave. <laughs> yeah. Leave these fucking people alone. Well, we did do an episode. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It was one Dave did where they go and they practice archaeology. At uh, the fucking cemetery. At the cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess if you call, up, like if you call it archaeology, then it's not. <laughs> what are you? Are you grave robbing? No, I'm doing archaeology. <laughs> well, like, the body was buried yesterday. Like most, yeah, it was pretty easy, easy to get to. Like most things, as long as you pay, <laughs> as long as you pay the fees, it's not a crime. You get the permit, it's fine. Yeah, you pay the piper, and you can do whatever you want. Exactly. But I would totally understand curses being put on graves. I want a curse put on my grave if anyone digs it up. What if you were died under weird circumstances and we had to dig you up in order to... Uh... Well, you better not be the one that digs me up. Okay. <laughs> you hire someone to do that <laughs> shit. <laughs> but you don't tell them shit about it. <laughs> what does it say here on the grave? Don't worry about don't it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just keep digging. Pleiadiacs unite? What does that mean? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let me throw a sheet over that real fast for you so we don't want to get the headstone dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God he didn't see the backside. It says, curse who may all be, <laughs> curse all who touch my body. Oh, jeez. I don't know. I think I like the idea of a curse for like the idea of entertainment is, value. Yeah. I think it's but, all. I think curses, like the idea of curses, has always been just entertainment. I mean, Curse of King Tut and the Pharaoh, Curse of the Pharaoh, was literally all about entertainment. They were yeah. trying to sell us newspapers because Carter and Lord Car- uh, Carnavan were smart and went, "Yeah, I'm only going to sell it to you, so you make a shit ton of money, and then I make a shit ton of money, a ton, a shit ton of money, <laughs> because you make a shit ton of money, and then I make a shit ton of money, and just you know." And all these other people are like, oh, fuck them. Well, and see, this was all about, and the diamond was all about Cartier wanting to make money. Yeah. I don't know about Dave's. I, it probably was, I don't probably newspaper. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who made money off of it. <laughs> but I think there's also. I, I tell you, I mean, that was part of securing the Ohio River Valley. Yeah. Uh, William McKinley's military campaign. Yeah. But there's also a lot to be said about tulpas, and mm. they, if you believe in a curse, it it's can happen. Weird, yeah. So it could be that there's not a like we're not talking like Hollywood curse, but more of a mental curse on the individuals. You know, yeah. Hope Diamond's beautiful, and the Heart of the Ocean from Titanic. Is like a rep, like a representation, I guess, of the Hope Diamond. That's kind of what it looks like. It's bright blue and diamonds. Hope the curse. 
It fixed. was on the fucking Titanic? No, in the movie, the Titanic. Uh, Rose has the heart of the ocean. See, if she would have... Well, she didn't throw it off, did she? No. It was in Jack's pocket. And Jack died. That bitch killed him. It was in the safe. But Jack put it in his pocket. Oh, it was in the safe. I don't fucking yeah. know. I don't remember. All I know is that bitch killed him. There's enough room for both of them on that door. No, it wasn't in the safe because she pulls it out of her pocket at the end because they open the safe and they don't find the diamond. Oh. And then in the end, she walks out on the back of the ship and throws it back into the ocean. Oh. I don't know. I didn't like the movie, so. Guess what? Is that what they were going for there? Like, as far as the plot? Like, the Hope Diamond sank the ship? No, no. It was more of just using that as a... An anchor point? Yeah. Because in the end, she... The old lady throws the diamond... It throws it into the ocean at the end. That's even in a Britney Spears song. It's like um, Mr. Bojangles in the Green Mile. Yeah. The mouse. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those kind of things. All I know is there are there People have looked, tried it out. There's enough room for both of them to sit on that door and play cards. Yep. That bitch but was just. I saw a funny one. It was her on the the on. But you told me that was. Cats. You told me that wasn't even a true story. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Oh, I always thought the Titanic yeah. was like a real ship. Oh, oh. Titanic was a real <laughs> ship. Good lord. <laughs> this is history corrections and Mandela effects. I with do David with this Amy. all the time. It is. I never know it's reality anymore. It's the Titanic <laughs> is a real ship, and it really sunk. Okay. And lots of people died. And the movie and was the literally movie, just using the you know the sadness of you know everyone dying to make money. Just the background. Yeah. Hey, you know this thing that happened that killed a bunch of people, made a lot of people really sad. Let's make a fake movie about it to make a bunch of money. Wait, that's how most movies are made. Yeah. You're like what World War Two? <laughs> Oh, I was thinking more of the Titanic. But that's a good one, too. What How about World War One? Yeah, we can do that one, too. What about Vietnam? Yeah, we can do that one, too. What about the Iraqi War? It's still happening. That's uh, okay. I, I'm honestly surprised we haven't had a uh, September 11th fictional movie. There is one. There is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. A couple of them, I think. Yeah. I haven't seen any of them, so... That, Tell the stories of yeah. the peoples in the buildings and on the planes. I have one that's actually like not real, but just uses the, the mm. theory. Like, Saving oh, Private uh, Ryan isn't based off of... Or Pearl which, Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. So, with um, Just a movie that's in the, that setting, but not yeah. based off of what actually happened. Because those happen all the damn time. And it's like, those ones are, like, those are just made in bad taste. <laughs> so like the towers are crumbling and then like the dude looks over and they he meets eyes with the girl yeah and then and I'll then dust look. consumes them and they're just wandering through and they wind I'm up in each other's lie. arms <clears throat> no <clears throat> i think it was the last of the maze runner trilogy um <laughs> i was watching it because I found them interesting. And at the very end, like the love interest, she's on top of the building as it's collapsing. And she has the time to jump onto the helicopter. And she does it. And she falls. And my roommate at the time, Joe, walks in and goes, 
Jeff Fuel doesn't melt, still be. Nine Eleven was staged. <laughs> <laughs> I just lost it. So that every time we watch a movie and like the buildings fall against, we said Nine Eleven was real. But this is perfectly. I'm sitting there watching. He has no idea what I'm watching. He just walks into the girl as like the roof collapses and she starts falling, and he just walks to his room doing. The, Jeff Fuel doesn't melt, still be. <laughs> well, maybe that does bring up a point because that happened during Bush's presidency. Yeah. Yep. And right before Biden's presidency, there was a fucking coup. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? It was just a protest. <laughs> I was there with my lover, okay, sister. It was the repo- or oh. It was the the left that was trying to make it look like we were rioting. Anybody can put on a red hat and say they support Trump. This is literally in the documentary uh, for uh, four hours or what is it? Oh, four hours was, at the Capitol. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. It's actually a really good documentary. Where they're documentary. saying it was a false flag operation. Yeah. I'm like, look, I know a lot of Trump supporters, and that's what they look like to me. <laughs> well, so. the fact that many of the Trump supporters from here, Norman. We're there. We're there. Wait, one of one, one of them ran for mayor. Is still running for mayor. One of her signs is down there at the yeah. Corner. I see all of the place. I'm like, <laughs> I want to get a big sign out there and just put no <laughs> next to it. It says "Vote for Kush or Kish." Vote for Kish. I and I want to be like, "Don't," and just put it above nope. it where it goes right. Says the person, <laughs> "Don't vote for Kish." She was my eye doctor. Yeah, yeah, she was mine for a long time too. Yep, not anymore. Yeah. I don't support them insurgents. I didn't then, and I won't now. Yeah. But yes. And before we get too political, yes, this is not let's a, do a call out. podcast. Man, um, the curse I wanted to do was the curse of Donald Trump, <laughs> which I don't think we could have done without getting super political. Yeah. The curse it, of Donald Dump. <laughs> but it was Donald about duck. about the Dump. um duck. About um Dump. Duck. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, fascinating if you want to read about it. It's about like all these witches and stuff that gang together to put mass hexes and curses on him, and it's pretty fascinating to read about. And see, that's one thing. I mean, I can't tell somebody how to use their magic, but to me, it would be far more effective to protect yourself or to send like positive energy out. Maybe like give people common sense. Or, you know, something like that. Versus critical, critical thinking thing abilities. Here. Yeah, but not all people think that way. I know. Yeah. But that's what I love. That's about why we're in the situation we're in. That's what I love about the Green Mushroom Project, because that is the point of the Green Mushroom Project. And I really, yeah. I, I, that speaks to me. But we're getting political again. So let's go back to curses. I would say we're getting magical. We're getting magical. Let's get magical about it. Well, speaking of the Green Mushroom. Be sure to check out all our brothers and sisters at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Faith Blind Council, Administrism, Lux Occult, Smuts Up, and Ad Hoc History. Don't forget our brothers and sisters at Primordia, Grognostics, XV Planus. Uh, this Weird. list is getting really... We need to just record this list and just put it at the end of every episode. It's just Weird getting bigger Web bigger. Radio. <coughs> also, if you're like me and you're finally getting caught up on all your podcasts... Um, on Primordia, Britt spoke to me. She kept saying para, er, uh, phenomenon. 
And she said, this one's for you, Amy. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and I was nice. like, yes, because I was saying it in my head anyway. <laughs> yeah, a, every time I listen to her episode. <laughs> Phenomena. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Actually, anytime I hear, I was watching the King Tut, a bunch of those videos today and yesterday. It was weird phenomenon. Do, 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 do. I'd be like in the kitchen, cook, like making something or throw something away. I just hear the TV go, phenomenon. I just yell across the house. Do, 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 do. We were watching The Curse of the Bermuda Triangle, and they say that like every other word. And Dave and I both were going, do, do, do. <laughs> By the end, you're just like, do, 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 do. <laughs> All right, so Dave, who else we got to shout out for? Um, They're not shadows. What magic is this? Occult Confessions is a good one. The Occult Hour. The Occult Hour is pretty interesting. They don't do any editing. They just turn the equipment on and they talk. And if their dogs start going off in the background, their dogs just start going off in the background. <laughs> uh, True Crime Paranormal is that way, too, because they do all of theirs also on YouTube and oh. on YouTube Live. So they just post it. I've been on quite a few of the lives chatting and asking questions it's a really good one too so if you want if you like true crime true crime paranormal is awesome um also don't forget to use the links in the description to get yourself a paranormal t-shirt shipped each month uh use promo code paranormalcy at checkout and get 10 percent off your first order you can also use the links to go to halloweencostumes.com and get yourself started for Halloween for this year because it's already 2022. I'm already planning. I don't know about y'all, but... Yeah, it's yeah. almost only nine months away. I know. I've got to start really thinking about costume ideas. <laughs> um, I'll wait till last minute like I always do. Oh, I will too, but I'll plan it out. Actually, <laughs> no, this last year I bought costumes by, by uh, end of August. But um, that was only because the year before I waited too long and it was really hard to find costumes. <laughs> so, um, also, is there another also? Oh, yeah, also be sure to like us, follow us, and all that fun stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. We've got some new Discord members, and welcome them to the group. Welcome. One of us. One, One of, of us. us. One of us. We got some new uh, ratings, too, oh, out we do? there. Yeah, yeah. So thank you guys for rating us and giving us little reviews. We love to see that. It helps us get out there in more ears. Um, you can always check out our website at umpnormalcy.com or email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. Um, Dave and I always read the emails when they come through. Um, get message on, you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, and Discord if you've got show ideas or topics you want us to discover, or if you want to correct my horrible French pronunciations. Um, Jeweler. Well, I don't know why that was so hard for me. By the end, I was getting pretty good at it. That was Henry. Was it just me, or did she say history, history? at one point instead of history? I might have. <laughs> I just love the. I don't know if it's will, the final will, will Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. I, I, I suffer from an involuntary speech repetition. <laughs> and I can say that because I do. Well, you know, one of my problems <laughs> was I was reading ahead. Yeah. And then getting myself confused. Well, you probably should read words instead of ahead. You know what? You can be punched in the face. <laughs> Four caught. Against. <laughs> Four caught. Four caught. 
I like the name Fourquat. That's his name, whether it's real or not. He's Fourquat. Amy's new D and D character, Fourquat. Ooh, that's a good name. William Henry Fourquat. (laughs) (laughs) No, it should be William Fourquat, but his name is Henry (laughs) Fourquat. William, William, who's William? Henry? Did you forget oh, your fucking yeah. name? My name's Henry. <laughs> yeah. You wrote out William. Well, that's how you spell Henry, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm just imagining it now. Oh, this is awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> oh. Also, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash umpnormalcy. Uh, Chad's having computer issues, so we haven't gotten the videos done yet. But Once we will get them done. Soon. I can hopefully get those out there. He's just procrastinating. I've worked on it for the last three days and nothing works. <laughs> so if any of you guys want to, you know, pay our Patreon or you know, send me a new computer, uh, we can get those going we faster. We can get those faster. <laughs> and until next time, keep digging. Unearthing paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.